When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the podcast Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We are so happy to be here with you, as we always are. And today we are going to be talking about relationships, mending them, maintaining them, sometimes grieving them. Before we get started, we wanted to encourage you to sign up for our email newsletter. You can go to pantsuitpoliticsshow.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom. There's a box you can sign up. And it's not really just Beth and I writing. It's this amazing community sharing their perspective and their insight and their wisdom. So make sure and sign up for our weekly email. We're going to talk about relationships today and friendships and all of the messiness of being a friend, of losing a friendship, of trying to figure out what to do once a friendship is lost. We're going to start with Robin, who wrote to us about Gen Zers. Robin has a 17-year-old who is very politically engaged. Robin sent us some examples of her daughter's messages, and they're really impressive. It's really impressive, the level of engagement that's happening. And also, there is some major tension because of that engagement. And Robin said, this whole exchange is an example of how hard it is to take a non-extreme position in a world of cancel culture. Young people especially seem to embrace unambiguous, right-wrong positions and sometimes react to them in extreme ways. And this whole exchange that Robin's referring to is about whether to eat at a specific restaurant because of some corporate stances that that restaurant takes. And then, well, hang on, do we still think of it that way if it's part of a franchise system? So that's the debate. Robin says, although both of these girls are well-educated and have decent critical thinking skills, their peers don't reward them for using them. My daughter has tried to present a more nuanced view on several occasions and has been shot down for not being pure enough. I assume they'll grow out of this, but I also see a lot of very harsh responses to all varieties of failure. It is not healthy for political discussion, and it certainly isn't nuanced. I would love your view on this, how to navigate a society that seems to want to cancel everything. I love this message. I'm in the middle of some volunteer training, and I was looking at developmentally appropriate phases. And for the teenage set, one of the descriptions was legalistic thinking. And I thought, oh, yeah, that is definitely what my 11-year-old is currently doing. So I definitely agree that some of this is just the age. You know, on Pantsuit Politics last week, I was talking about Richard Rohr and his framework of order, disorder, reorder. And he says, like, we have to do this. We have to almost be legalistic young people and figure out, be a little in-group, out-group, be a little tribal. We have to figure out how we define ourselves and build up that ego so that we can then move through the world and hopefully break it down and reorder ourselves. But that that's just an important part of growing up. Listen, you did not 
you did not want to hang out with me in high school, y'all. It was unpleasant. I took legalism to just a new level. I thought I knew everything. I had Bible verses to back it up. It just, it was a bad scene. And I just give myself a lot of grace when I think back on young adult and teenage Sarah, because I just think I had to go through it. I had to figure it out. Godspeed to Robin's daughter, trying to help her peers see the the legalistic way they're approaching the world. Because I really don't, I think it has a lot less to do with our council culture, which is a, is a thing, and we can talk about it, but, and more just to do with the age, honestly. I also think that we are, as a society, asking for a lot more political engagement in a much broader spectrum of topics from teenagers than maybe we have mm-hmm. before, and that there are more places to express those opinions and to be exposed to other people's expressions of those opinions. And this is why it's so important to me to, from the beginning, like since my girls have been old enough to have conversation at all, to be talking about political matters and really trying to help them sort through what questions do I want to ask when something is in front of me. I don't think that I'm going to have much influence at all about where my girls ultimately land on different issues, but I hope that I can influence their process of landing there. And I do think there are going to be moments when they will be dramatically harder on an issue than I am. They're already like that about a couple of issues, and my girls are young. I don't think that's a problem at all. I do think there is a developmental aspect, just like Sarah said. And what I really want to do as the parent in these conversations is just keep working on that process. Well, tell me where you learned this. Oh, I wonder what questions you have about it. Does any part of this not sit well with you? Can you see any flaws in the argument that you just articulated? Okay, well, you could still land there, but let's be sure that we're honest about those flaws or we're honest about those questions or we're honest about those red flags. And just cycling through that process to me is the best way that we can be guides for our kids as they work out their own viewpoints and how they're going to engage with others around those viewpoints. Well, and I think the hard truth especially for me to accept, is that sometimes they're not willing to have us as a guide, especially at that age. And that's okay, and that's normal. And those peer relationships take on such outsized value, and that's what they'll learn. You know, your daughter learned a very valuable lesson by being sort of responded to in that way about how that feels. That's nothing you could have ever taught her. You know, it's sort of like at the playground when the kids are little and all the parents that want to teach them not to go up the slide the wrong way, which I always felt like was such folly. You know what will teach you not to go up the slide the wrong way? Getting kicked by somebody coming down the slide. And there's an aspect of this that you have to learn the hard way. That's part of that process of growing up. You know what taught me the hardest lessons of my legalistic approach? Realizing, as one of my dearest friends came out to me, how much I'd hurt him in high school with my language and my arguments and my politics. And my parents could have never guided me there. Um, I had to learn that on my own path. And I think that's true of cancel culture. Like there was, especially of this young generation, there was a good New York Times email where they were saying like parents have much less influence on their kids' politics than they ever had before because there's such a political space online. The information is available to them. They don't have to depend on their parents to give it or filter it to them. You know, they're citing all these sort of political families like the Claudia Conway, the daughter of Kellyanne Conway and all the drama that's unfolded on her social media channels. There was the daughter of a state rep, I think, in Wisconsin who like tweeted out, don't vote for my dad. Um, but that was a fun evening at home. You know, I just think that 
we are entering a little bit of uncharted territory as far as young adults and politics because of social media. But I think these conflicts have always been there and the desire for teenagers and young adults to go out, form their own path, learn their own way and bump up against their peers and draw the lessons from that is not new. I mean, Alex P. Keaton's been around a long time. Bless his heart. So many people are not going to get that reference. That's okay. I'm old. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. But I am glad that, you know, Robin's daughter was able to practice that. And I think the girl that she entered into this exchange with learned a lot, too, even if she didn't seem like she did over the course of the conversation. It's also just a good conversation to be having about their understanding at a much earlier age than I did that our dollars say a lot about what kind of world we want to live in. And the Mm -hmm. places that we choose to do transactions with matter. And that's a great discussion to have. And fortunately, none of us individually can take down a business. You know, it does take a much broader cultural discussion to decide that something is worth actually canceling. So I think having some experimentation and discussion around that uh, within uh, groups of people is really healthy. This is a bit of a detour, but... I promise it connects in my mind, at least. Um, We're having our our little school pod of kids. And one of the things that we did during a break was this uh, one-minute mystery practice. There's a set of a whole book of short mysteries. And it's just a, a group of facts. And the kids have to figure out, how can this be? It's something that sounds really strange. How can this be? And the best kid in our group was our four-year-old at solving those. Because the Mm -hmm. four-year-old was able to think very differently about the information being given than the the older kids were. The four-year-old was able to ask the truly, like, brain-stretchy questions. And I say that just to remember, I use the word guide about partnering with our kids, but sometimes they're going to be the guides, you know, because sometimes they are unencumbered by a lot of what we are encumbered with as we get older. And I just can't say enough about how important I think it is to have multi-generational conversations around politics. I learned so much when I talked to someone who lived through the 1960s. I learned so much when I talked to a four-year-old. And so I think, Robin, that your daughter trusts you enough to show you the messages that she's having with her friends says only wonderful things about your house and about the opportunity in front of both of you to continue to enrich each other's paths. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. from Christina. Christina wrote us about a lifelong friendship that feels broken. Her and her best friend met in preschool, and so their friendship spans most of their lives. 
They are in their 30s now, but in their mid-20s, they were roommates when the best friend started dating someone Christina had big concerns about. The new boyfriend had relationship and emotional baggage, and he seemed unwilling to talk about it or deal with it and was isolated from his own family. And he also seemed to want to isolate Christina's friend as well. Christina says, mainly I would say things like his personality doesn't gel with mine or I don't really get his sense of humor, but always followed up with, but I'm not the one dating him. So if you're getting along, then that's what matters. I didn't have the maturity or the right language to really address the situation in the healthiest way. Plus, I was really struggling myself at work. I just didn't have the emotional capacity to deal with her relationship situation on top of my own concerns. He never hit her or cheated on her. They fought occasionally, but some of those fights were blamed on me and the difficulties I was creating for being miserable at my job. Mainly, he isolated her from her friends and made her feel guilty when they disagreed about something. I wasn't honest because I felt like it was the path of least resistance to withhold my full opinion. I regret that I didn't state my concerns directly back then. Christina ended up leaving her job and moving back home, and the two were roommates for just about a year. And despite knowing that that was the right decision for her to move home and being a bridesmaid in the friend's wedding, to said boyfriend, she felt like her best friend was really hurt by her moving out and that their friendship was never the same again. She says, I've been spending my free time during quarantine organizing and digitizing my old pictures, and I've realized how much unresolved conflict I feel about this friendship. We have hundreds of pictures together from all stages of our life. It makes me really sad to look at them and know that our friendship took such a turn for the worse. For the first time in years, I feel like I actually have time to think about a solution that could make it better. I'd like to use this extra time at home to build some bridges and mend hurt feelings. I just don't know how to go about it since so much time has passed. What advice do you have for someone who would like to apologize and clear the air with an old friend? I understand that I can't totally heal the relationship on my own, but I'd like to do my part. This message is very close to my heart. I had a beloved college roommate and we had what I would call a friendship fracture over a relationship. Now, I took the opposite approach. I was very vocal. So the, I think the first thing I want to tell Christine is, like, don't beat up on yourself because the truth is you could have behaved completely differently and still ended up in the situation you're in with the friendship feeling fractured. Luckily, I was able to mend that friendship and the relationship that was the the cause also ended. The cause of the conflict also ended. But it's really, really hard. You know, I'm an intense person. I'm an intense person to be friends with. And so I've had lots of times over the course of my life, especially in my 20s, where I had really deep conflicts with friends. And for the most part, excepting a few people, I'm still close friends with these women that I've had, you know, falling outs with or fights with or just those those conflicts and fractures. And I think always the best approach is just open-hearted vulnerability and honesty and saying, here's what I think I did wrong. I'm really upset with how this ended. And being willing to sort of walk in knowing that they might not feel the same way and that they might be more comfortable with where the friendship ended or separated and just keeping that possibility in your mind, but still knowing it's worth it to just sort of open up your heart and say, you were really important to me at this time, and I hate that this is where we've ended up. The main thing that occurred to me when I read Christina's message is the recommendation that Christina put what she wants to say in a letter that you could, like, put in the mail mm. and sit with it before she sends it and make sure that the letter is for the other person. If the letter, as you read it a couple days later, 
feels really cathartic to you, but also feels like it could stir up a lot for the other person that the other person might not be ready to engage with or might not want to engage with, or that just might be hard. I just think it's important before you send something like this to know who it's for. And Mm. I think it's a beautiful practice to flush out all of your own thoughts in a letter, but I don't think every letter is meant to be sent. And I think you have to think about how much time has passed, the fact that we are living through an incredibly stressful moment just in the existence of Earth, and that everybody walks away from old relationships, even those, I mean, I have a lot of friendships that I'm so sad aren't friendships anymore, and I don't think anything really happened. I think it was a gradual erosion. And even so, it stirs up a lot of feeling in me to think about those friendships. And I don't know if it would be very fair for me to, like, pour my heart out to any of those folks at this particular moment in time and say, could we could we like have a call soon? Can we work on this? I just I don't know if it would. And so my feeling is to really think through what you need to say and who you need to say it for and then make a decision about the next step. There is a way, I think, to share some of these thoughts and it be a real celebration of the friendship that was and like a real expression of love for the person who still is without asking anything in return. And that feels better to me than trying to get in and fix something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, here's a fun story. I have also been on the receiving end of a letter like that. When we were in college at Transylvania, my first love high school boyfriend cheated on me with one of our sorority sisters He was not in college with us. (laughs) P.S. He only knew her through me. Subsequently, they got married, had some children, got divorced. And I'm not kidding with you. Ten years later, I get a letter from her in the mail saying, I'm so sorry for what happened. I feel terrible. You were important to me. I hate how everything went down. You were a good person. You didn't deserve it. And it was both... Nice to hear, but it felt a little bit like it was for her, that she was clearing the deck for herself. You know, it, it didn't feel totally selfish. I did believe her that she was sorry. I did believe her that she valued our relationship. It still felt like it was an act that she needed to do for herself, not for me. She didn't know me anymore. And for what I have to believe from what she did know of me, she had to know that I had moved on and gotten married and had children and was happy and not upset about it, you know? So it it was weird. It, I still have the letter. It makes a hell of a story. But, you know, there are some, I think, friendship fractures. And I don't think Christina's fits this bill, but I do think there are cases where If there was a betrayal of some kind or a really big conflict, it's almost hard to ever do something like that without feeling like I'm apologizing so I feel better. I think that's right. I don't know. I love that you said she didn't really know me anymore because I think that is at the heart of my concern here. Mm -hmm. The time that passes, especially after you get married, especially after you've had a child, if that's involved, like you just grow into such a different human being. For me, it's almost impossible to think about my life pre-marriage and kids. 
And maybe I am myopic in that way and other people are better at holding it all together than I am. And I think, Sarah, you are a little bit in part because you and Nicholas began your relationship so young. You know, for Mm me, I kind of had school and then life. And there was a really distinct marker between school and life. And so the idea of like this excavation of something that existed before the person who I am today started forming It just feels a little overwhelming to me. I just feel a little overwhelmed by the idea of receiving this kind of correspondence. And that's also why a letter feels better to me than something electronic where there's more of a pressure to respond. You know, you can put something in the letter, it sits for you, and then it can sit for the other person. And there's much more of a decision about, am I going to respond back to this or not? So I would just tread lightly. But Christina, I totally agree with Sarah. Don't beat yourself up over this. This was a formative experience for both of you in one way or another. And you've both Mm -hmm. walked into your lives. And the best thing I think you can do is take all of this and sit down and really come up with some intentions about your next friendships or the friendships that are really beloved to you currently and how you want to be and lean into those. You know, because I do honestly feel in my heart that every person I've ever had any kind of relationship with has added so much to my understanding of how to be in relationship with other people and so much to my understanding of how to be in relationship with myself. And I'm so grateful to all of them. And I think I want for them too not to be pining away for what used to be, but just living into really wonderful relationships in their lives as they exist now. I had a real aha moment about friendship, reading The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Now you may ask yourself, why would a book about keeping your house tidy help you with the friendship? But she says, like, objects are like people. Not every person you meet or every friend you make is supposed to be a lifelong friend. And that's something I definitely suffered under and, and created conflict that didn't need to exist in some friendships that could have faded or could have just had less pressure on them if I acknowledge that sometimes we're friends with people for a certain stage of life and they don't remain our best friends. That took me way too long to learn. Um, And I think you can still say we had this beautiful friendship that was a, a milestone friendship. To be with friends with somebody even from preschool until your 20s is huge. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be best friends until you retire, you know, like I I think you can say it was important and big and impactful. And also I don't, I can release it to be what it was. I endorse releasing things to be what they were for sure. (laughs) And sometimes being able to have that release is spilling out what you need to say about it to yourself. Uh, Just maybe not to the other person. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
also heard from Ruth, and I think there is a type of grief in Christina's message. Ruth is going to take us into another type of grief, um, a pretty intense one. Ruth is writing to commemorate the evolution of her grief over 15 years since her brother was murdered by a police officer in a hospital after he allegedly tried to get the officer's weapon while in custody and going through drug withdrawal. Ruth says, There was never an investigation, and to this day my family maintains a deeply held culture of silence around his death. He was my half-brother, and we had a wide age gap of 13 years. He was Asian-American with distinctly brown skin, especially in the summer months. He was killed in June. I was only 15 years old at the time of his death, and my brother was a distant family member to me by then because we lived in different states, and he had spent most of the previous seven years in jail. My earliest experiences grieving his death included anger at him for not being a good brother to me and for being an absent father to his son. I was told then through indirect and covert church and societal messages that this was the price one paid for being addicted to drugs. It was all very individualized. She goes on to say, but as an adult learning about the mass incarceration of black and brown people, the war on drugs and the widespread pandemic of police brutality, I see his death really differently now. Now my grief looks like outrage at these systems. My grief finds that learning about the continued murder of black and brown bodies by police shows up in pain in my body, reminiscent of the night I heard my brother was dead because of a bullet implanted in his body by a police officer. But also now my grief makes a lot more sense. As I write to you today, my heart grieves for another reality. Two of my nephews and my sister have joined the military and my other brother is a police officer. This reality baffles me, it gives me so much pause, and frankly, it hurts. I don't understand how members of my family can actively participate in these systems, nor their lack of outrage toward police brutality. Maybe I never will. As I continue to figure out what my experience in my brother's life and death mean in this moment, as I live my life and find my place in the world, as I try to figure out how to protect myself from my family's continued silence and complicity, I am dedicating myself to talking about racism, anti-racism, and my lane and dismantling oppressive systems. I am commemorating my growth, the power of unlearning, how far our national conversation has come, and the power of surrounding myself with people who don't maintain silence about things that matter. I am really touched by this message, and I especially have read several times the sentence, this was the price one paid for being addicted to drugs, because I do mm. think, as Ruth says, there are so many indirect and covert church and societal messages that tell us that. And I think we're living through a period where many of the places where we've said, well, this is just the price of that are so screwed up. And I can't imagine having lived through something that so clearly illustrates how screwed up that thinking is. But I am in awe of Ruth's ability to know that she was sold an individualized message about her brother and that her brother's death is a symptom of much larger societal problems and that she still has this very individualized and particular grief in her experience of all of it. So this was a really hard message for me. My brother, also my half-brother, also far apart from me in age, also lived far away from me during our entire childhoods and lives, also has a son, committed suicide last summer. He struggled with substance abuse, 
He struggled with depression. Now, my brother was white. So the impact of a racialized system on his life is absent in some ways, but the idea that you would be angry with this person because of their choices or a narrative that told you that they were choices and also struggle with the many, many ways systems, mental health systems, educational systems, cultural systems failed them is all too real. And I really, really admire Ruth and will keep this message in my mind as a guide because I'm still in the midst of that. I'm still really angry with my brother. And I'm still really heartbroken for how much suffering he must have been experiencing. And I'm still really upset at all the, the places in his life that he was failed. And that's really all, it's all very difficult to carry. And Ruth's ability to do that is something to behold. I wish for you, Sarah, and for you, Ruth, and for everyone who has experienced any version of this, and that's a lot of people, so much peace as you try to work through a really difficult assortment of emotions. And I wish for all of us, for us to fail less. And I think one way to start failing less is to stop sending messages that this is the price one pays for being addicted to drugs. Thank you all for sharing your hearts and your stories with us and for trusting us to be part of your journeys. You can send messages to hello at pantsypoliticsshow.com. We'll be back here with you next Wednesday to talk about more of the messiness of living wisely. We'll be on Pantsy Politics between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuance Life is listener supported. Go to patreon.com slash the nuance life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.